Before the service started, before the service started, I met a friend this morning who blessed me, and I know that he's going to bless you in the same way that these men have already blessed us. And so to pray for us in our time together this morning, I want to invite my new friend Jimmy up to lead us in a word of prayer. Jimmy, will you come up? Now don't let the soup fool you. God bless you, Pastor. God bless you. I get the great honor and privilege to travel with these men. It's an awesome blessing to know that God restores life. Amen. This is what they represent. No matter how deep you go in sin, God can lift you out. In honor to your pastor, bless his heart. Beautiful thing you've got going here. We want to come before God in fervency. I don't believe in playing when I pray. God said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man will availeth much. And what I pray today is that every one of you never leave this building today the same. Amen. You go home another way, drawing closer to the mind of God and the power of God, honoring the man of God that preaches you from the depths of his heart the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, you are mighty. You are honorable. And you deserve all our praise. Thank you for the mighty word of God, the praise that comes from these men, the depths of their soul, who you have restoring life. We thank you for every heart that's in this building, every soul that has reached out to you to call you and claim you as their Lord and Savior. Let nothing stand between them today, Father, as your word come forth. Let the power and the anointing of God speak deep into their souls. Let their spiritual ears open up and hear things that they've never heard before. Open up their eyes and their mind and their spirit to hear what thus saith the Lord. As the man of God speaks to us today and we'll give you honor, we'll give you the praise, and we'll forever glorify you. And let the angels of heaven rejoice as somebody in this building restore and give their life to you. That's when the angels will stand up and praise. Somebody will give their life to you and grow deeper. We ask these things by the name of a powerful Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you. Amen, amen. If you haven't noticed, they have a hard time being quiet, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You see, as people, we're all inclined to be loud about the things that mean something to us. We're all inclined to make noise about what truly matters most to us. That's why we have social media. That's why you post about the fun trips that you go on, the achievements that your kids make, all of the good stuff, all of the stuff that you feel like we're celebrating in your life. But there is a category of our life that for many of us we're far too quiet about. And that's why I'm glad the men of Nehemiah are here this morning to model for us, to show us by their example and by their leadership what it means to be loud, what it means to be bold about the things that God's doing in your life. You see, they possess a courage that sometimes I feel like I lack. As a pastor, it's easy to 
decline opportunities to share about what God's doing in my life because of, you know, self-consciousness or fear that maybe people would perceive that, you know, I'm holier than thou, which is anything but the case. And anybody can put on a starch shirt and a nice jacket and look like they've got it all together. But when you're honest about what God does in your life, you're able to stand there and say, I don't have it all figured out. And the parts of my life that have come together, it is not by my power, but by the grace of God at work in my life. And that's the story that we're going to look at in the book of Acts today, is this willingness to acknowledge what God has done in your life. You see, over the last couple of weeks, if you're new with us this morning, we've been talking about the book of Acts and about what happens when Jesus sends his disciples, his followers, out on mission. He gives them one command right before he goes up into heaven. And this is found in the first chapter of the eighth verse of Acts. This is what it says. As he leaves, he reminds them, and we've talked about this for two weeks now, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That word witness is not specific or unique to faith. It's not specific or unique to religion or to Christianity. We're all witnesses to something in our life. We all share, we all talk about, we all speak about, we're loud about the things that we think are most important in our life. That's why when you're at a dinner party or you are around you know, friends and they say, hey, what's going on? You typically lead with the highlights, the good things that are going, oh, we just got back from this trip, it was really fun, we had a great time, and so-and-so, or oh, you know, Jennifer, she, she's doing great in our volleyball team, or you know, whatever the good things that you are really excited about, they just started walking, they said their first words, there's this category of things that we value that we're all witnesses to in our life. But what Jesus reminds us, and what he commands his disciples and followers to do is to be a witness about one specific thing, what he has done in their life, his death and resurrection on the cross and the impact that that makes for all of us. And so his followers take him up on that command. They begin to teach. They begin to speak. They begin to proclaim and witness to all of the things that their risen Messiah has done. And so there's this encounter shortly after in the third chapter of Acts where Peter and John, they're walking through the temple where a lot of you know, religious people hang out and they come across this man who's been lame since birth and his friends bring him to the temple every day so that he can beg for alms. And he looks at them and he asks them for money and they look him in the eye and they say, look at me, look at me. Gold and silver, I have none. But what I have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the man is healed. In that moment. And if you had been lame since birth and you were healed, you would do what he did. He jumped up, he grabbed them, he was celebrating, he was exciting. You see, people who know that they've been healed have a hard time being quiet. Right, guys? And so this is what happens. But of course, anytime somebody's healed and they start to make a lot of commotion, it makes other people uncomfortable, doesn't it, guys? It makes people uncomfortable. Sometimes people are a little too loud. They're a little too rowdy. They 
upset the established order of things. And that's what happens in this story with Peter and John and the man who's healed. And so the religious leaders at the time, they get all worked up. They get uncomfortable. And so they go to Peter and John and they say, you've got to be quiet about what you're talking about. And they resist. And so they arrest them and they throw them in prison until they can convene a council to figure out what to do with them. And this is kind of where our story picks up this morning in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. And so the religious leaders have gotten together. They've acknowledged that surely they've done something great. They can't figure out how or why it was done. But what they know is that if these men keep talking about this man named Jesus, it's going to cause problems for them. It's going to upset and upside down the established order. And so they say, well, we can't let them do this. And so they bring them in before them. And this is the conversation And I just want to look at a couple of verses this morning. So this is the religious leaders. And so they called them in, them being Peter and John. They called them in and they ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They say, guys, you got to be quiet. You're being too loud. You're witnessing and it's bothering everybody else. You can talk about your kids. You can talk about your promotion. You can talk about the vacation. Oh, that's fine. You can talk about all of that stuff post away share away that's fine but we need you to be quiet about the name of jesus this is what peter and john say in response but peter and john answered them they say listen we're gonna have to be honest with you this morning whether it is right in the sight of god to listen to you rather than to listen to god you're gonna have to decide amongst yourself we got a choice We can either obey you or we can obey God. And you decide for yourselves which the right choice is going to be. And then this is what they say. But for us, we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and about what we've heard. We can't keep quiet about what God has done in our life. We can't keep quiet about the way that God has healed us, about the way that God has saved us, about the way that God has delivered us. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You see, when we truly acknowledge what God has done inside. It's hard to be quiet about it outside. Now, I know some of the hesitation with the charge or a command like this. We've all seen the images of the guy on the street corner with the sandwich board and a megaphone talking about the end times and how everybody is going to suffer torment and punishment. And we have an aversion to that for many of us. We're like, well, if that's what it means to be a witness to my faith, then I don't, I don't, that feels a little much, God. That puts me outside of my comfort zone. But I don't think that's what it means. I don't think that's what it means to witness to your faith. I don't think you have to stand on a street corner and shout. You might. That might be what God's calling you to do. It might mean that you stand up and you sing and you proclaim and you rap and you acknowledge what God's done in your life. Maybe that's what it means. But I think there are other ways oftentimes louder ways than just the words that we use. For many of us in business and in industry, we can hold the line on values and ethics and morality. We can hold the line and be unwilling to compromise 
in the name of a deal or in the name of profit. We can make sure that our faith and the values that it, it imparts to us stay top of our life in our relationships and in our social circles. We can hold the line. We can witness to our faith in that way. We can encourage. We can inspire. We can avoid the gossip and the small talk behind people's backs that criticizes and cuts and tears people down. When that starts, we can abstain. There are ways that we need to look ourselves in the mirror and witness to what God has done in our own lives in invisible ways that nobody will ever see and nobody ever knows about. That's another way that we can witness to our faith. Now, for Peter and John, they can't stop speaking about what they've seen and heard. But for us today, as we go from this place, what would it look like in your own life to be a witness? What would it look like in your own life to name, to acknowledge, to own up to what God has truly done? If God has made a difference in your life, then how can you keep quiet? What would it look like to share? Maybe not on a street corner, but maybe it means that you invite that friend to church you've been wanting to invite for a long time. Maybe it means that you bring your spouse with you. Maybe it means that you pray for somebody that you have adversity with. What does it look like in our own lives to be witnesses to our faith, to the things that God has done? My fear is that we would be a quiet church, that we would be a polite church, that we wouldn't upset anybody, that we wouldn't disrupt the established way that things always go, that we'd always be well thought of because we never got too loud. We never were too bold. That would be my fear for us. My prayer would be that we would be loud and bold in the same way that these men have shown us how to be, not just with our words and our song, but with our actions, with our choices, with the values and the priorities that we establish in our life, that our lives would be that light, that city on a hill that Jesus calls us to be, that we truly would be witnesses in the world, in our worlds, in our Jerusalems, to our Judeas and Samarias and to the ends of the world in which we come in contact with people. Now I could go on and give you examples of what this might look like or the ways that I have tried to do this and failed to do this and tried again, but we have our own Peter and John this morning, and so I want to invite Michael and Ryan up to share with us about what God's done in their life. How y'all doing? Good to be here. Well, my, uh, my name is Michael, and uh, my, uh, you know, I come up in a, a, a violent home, a violent, you know, and brutal, and it took me down a path that, you know, all the, uh, the hurt and pain I faced as a child, you know, it, it became a part of me, and, you know, I never, you know, was embraced. I never was told that I was loved. I always told that I would never amount to nothing. I'm this, I'm that, you know. And it, and it became a part of me. I started believing that. And I always had a resentment towards God because I said, how can God, if there is one, how can he allow a child to go through what I went through, you know, the beatings, you know, and that's all I know is pain. And, you know, I gave over to it, and I became the person that was doing these things to me. I became that person, and I ended up on death row. And by the grace of God, you know, uh, uh, 
by the grace of God, I was, uh, my sentence got commuted to life, and I did 28 years in the in prison system, you know. I never had a bicycle, never been swimming, never had a, never been to the zoo, you know, and life done changed and passed me up, you know, and, but I thank God that, you know, he's sovereign. He's saying the same redeemable quality in me that he see in each and every one of you. And he gave me another chance at life, you know. I'm carrying a life sentence right now, you know, and I've been out six years, thank God, you know. I, I feel that, you know, uh, in my addiction, it, it took me down a bad, uh, dark, dark path. You know, I never knew nothing. All I knew was pain. All the years I did in prison, I thought, way when I get out, you know, it was over. You know, it was just over for me, you know. And when I heard, I didn't know nothing to do but go back to what I was always taught to do. No good, you this. You know? And so I ended up back in my addiction. And one night I was walking in the rain, and, you know, nobody, you know, and, Hey, man, I'd rather be in prison than to live like this, you know, and, and sometimes Nehemiah, and, you know, and I went to Nehemiah, and, man, it's a beautiful thing, you know. They embraced me, you know. I never had a, I'm not very sociable, you know, and I, I always, I shy away from people, you know. It's just brokenness everywhere I went is just dark, and, then, you know, I didn't have the courage to step into the fears that haunt me to this day, you know, and, and God always, you know, after years and years of having that resentment towards God, he let me know that he was sovereign, you know. He don't look at sin. He look at everybody the same. And when I went to Nehemiah, man, he embraced me and gave me a peace that I never felt before, you know. And I feel that peace right to this day, you know. And I, I'm moving along in life, you know. I'm working, you know, and everything is, everything is looking up for me, you know. And, uh, I still have a problem with using telephones. I still shy away from people because, you know, I, I always carry that shame and guilt. But, you know, and God told me to hold your head up. You know, you belong. You are somebody, you know. Yeah. Thank you all for letting me show you. I kind of wish I got to go first. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a hard one to follow up on. Uh, first, I got to tell you how much fun it was to praise and worship with this church this morning. You guys are awesome. Um, my story is a little bit different. Um, by all accounts, I actually grew up in a great family. I had great parents, a lot of brothers and sisters, and had a really good childhood. Um, you know, my addiction really started with a prescription from a doctor. Um, and it started to get really out of control. Um, I think I, I never really felt like I was good enough, and I didn't know how much God really loved me. Um, so my addiction, it, it made me do things to people that I never even thought possible that I could do. Um, and, and when I met the actual love of my life, my wife, I did things to her that I never thought imaginable. And then we had a little baby, and that was in really the heart of my addiction when it had really progressed to the worst. And no matter how much I had, I had that beautiful wife and that beautiful little daughter, I still couldn't give up my addiction. There was nothing I could do myself to stop. I tried everything to stop. Um, and so then, because of the addiction, actually, I, I lost everything. 
I lost my wife. I was about to lose my daughter. Um, you know, we divorced, I would say, about eight months before I came into here. And that, that eight months before I came into here, it was bad. I realized once I was in here, every day for eight months, I was taking enough um, medication that could kill me. So, so I know that God was looking out for me for those eight months. Because every single day, I took enough medication that could have stopped my heart. Um, those eight months, I didn't, I didn't have one piece of contact with my family. Um, I was seeing my daughter, but rarely, because I was ashamed. I knew she would know her daddy wasn't right. Something was wrong with her daddy, and I didn't want her, I didn't want her to see that. I was ashamed. I had so much shame and guilt when I put my family through that I just started to isolate. And I really got to a point where I didn't want to be alive anymore. Um, I had known about God as I grew up, but I never really had a relationship with God. You know, and, and somehow, I, I don't know how my dad had found out about the men in Nehemiah, but I had been praying, God, give me somewhere to go. Give me somewhere to go. I can't do this on my own. I knew I couldn't do it on my own. Really didn't think my family would understand, you know, um, what I was going through and what it was going to take to get me out of this struggle. But he called me up one day and he took me to lunch and he said, I heard about this place. It's called the Men of Nehemiah. And he told me a little bit about it. And, and I knew right then in my heart I could feel something come over me. And it was the spirit of God. Now I really know what that was. And, and I was like, this is the place for me. So I went home and I looked it up that day. And I knew. I knew. So I called for three days in a row um, trying to get into the men of Nehemiah. And they finally called me on the fifth day. And they had a place open for me. And I remember that day. I was still all alone. Um. But I was just happy. Tears of joys were rolling down my, my eyes because I finally felt like I might have a place that could go that could help me, that could fix me. I'd been broken for so long. I didn't have any relationships left. I'd burned through all the money I'd made. I lost my job, my family. I was on the verge of losing my little girl. And so I, I actually packed up my apartment all by myself, took it to a storage. And the last of my money, I Ubered to the Minnie Maya and was dropped off. Um, and thank God I did. Thank God I did, but, but now, being here with my brothers and, and seeing all these guys, and you can see how different we all look. We come from different backgrounds, but we are all the same. And what I found is I have this relationship with God that I didn't even know was a matter. I never even thought I could imagine this kind of relationship with God, the closeness I have, and I know how much he loves me. I really, truly know how much he loves me and that I am worthy. I'm worthy of his love. Um, I have joy, peace. And he has brought my smile back. A smile that I didn't have for a long time. And so I just want to say thank you guys for having us here. And, and God is great and doing such wonderful works in our lives. And I just feel so blessed to be standing here today and be able to give that testimony to you guys. So. Here's what we're going to do next. Here's what we're going to do next. We're going to invite the men to come and sing and lead us in one more song. And as they come up here, listen, we're going to invite the ushers to come down. If you've got a phone, pull out your camera. This is what we're doing. All the money that's collected this morning is going to go to the men in Nehemiah and the work that they're doing in South Dallas. This QR code goes directly to their site where you can give as well. So take out your cameras, put it on the QR code. And as these men lead us in song, I hope that we bless them in the way that they've blessed us.
Thank you guys for being with us this morning.